Hello, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's good to share God's word with you once again. We're going to continue with our series, What's in Your Hand? And we deal with chapter 8, which speaks of hands of ordination. But before I minister, I'm going to ask Ian to say hello and just to greet you very briefly. Come here. Hi everyone, it's good to be back with you once again. I know it's probably been a little while since our last video, but it's great to be here and I hope that you enjoy the series that we're doing at the moment, What is in Your Hand, and that um, you're learning a lot from what is being taught. So without further ado, I'll hand you back to Joe so we can continue with the series. Thank you Ian so much. Amen. Chapter 8, Hands of Ordination. God's Word is the highest authority within the body of Christ. It is the unadulterated Word of God that governs the church. Jesus said He would build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus, as we all well know, is the head and the chief cornerstone of the church. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 220. One of the major problems within the church is the understanding just how Jesus governs the church. Many day modern apostles and prophets are of the persuasion that the church is governed by the synod gifts of Ephesians 4.11 and that being apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Though this is true to an extent, what we must bear in mind that the fivefold ascended gifts are subject to the Word of God. They govern as they submit themselves to the authority of the Word of God. In simple terms, the final word is with the Word of God. Over the years, the church has, been, has foolishly allowed itself to be governed by certain worldly systems of governance, and that, which are far removed from the teachings of God's Word. Democracy ruled God's church for a long time, causing much harm and almost irreparable damage. No doubt, the proponents supporters of democracy based their democratic system of church government on the revealed Word of God. Old Testament and New Testament scripture were voiced to authenticate their belief. The Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14 paint a vivid picture of democracy and how it failed miserably. Joshua and Caleb endeavored to convince the Israelites they were more than able to conquer the inhabitants of the promised land. All that was required of the people was to place their trust and confidence in God. The other ten spies said it was an impossible task for the people because the people of the land were mighty and there were giants among the people. Ten said it was impossible. Two said it was possible. Majority ruled and the nation succumbed to the voice of the majority. For 40 long years they wandered in the wilderness 
all because they allowed the majority to persuade them. Though many local churches have moved away from democracy into what many deem theocracy, there are still many denominations that follow democracy. They insist that there is scripture, scriptural evidence in the New Testament that supports their method of governance based on Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good, good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Note the disciples allowed the people to vote in seven deacons. No doubt this was a democratic expression. However, what many failed to see that although the disciples had the vote, their vote was conditional. Certain prerequisites were to be met. These prescribed prerequisites were set by the foundation apostles. And these were number one, men of good repute, two, men had to be full of the spirit, and three, the men had to be full of wisdom. These foundational apostles were personally handpicked by Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was their personal mentor. For close on to three and a half years, they accompanied Jesus, witnessing his wondrous miracles and teachings. Beyond the teaching of Jesus Christ and the revelation imparted by the Spirit of God to these foundational apostles on, the which, on, the which, on which the church stands, and that from the birth of the church to the coming again of Jesus Christ, that being the church age. Listen to the word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The church, throughout its existence, is governed by Jesus Christ. And he is none other than the word of God. The word of God that was incarnated. The church throughout its existence is governed by Jesus and the teachings of the foundational apostles received from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is why the foundational apostles could set forth the prerequisites for the appointing of the seven deacons. Those who were chosen by the people of God met the prerequisites and were appointed by the foundational apostles. Their ministries were confirmed by the apostles laying their hands on them. This evidently should give the present-day body of Christ the understanding that, that the theocracy controls democracy. The laying on of the hands of the foundation apostles on the seven chosen deacons set certain imperative, very important, essential, crucial, necessary 
precedence that the church has to adopt in its governmental expressions. God has not revoked, repealed, retracted, cancelled democracy from the church. However, through the governmental precedence set forth by the foundational apostles in the choosing of the deacons, the right and outcome of the vote of the people is administered by the leadership of each local church. Acts 6, being the very first record of New Testament ordination of ministry, sets forth the precedent of how all ministers were set apart in the early church. Hands were laid on the seven deacons by the apostles. This is clearly seen as we consider also the ordination of Timothy. Do not, hear the word, do not neglect the gift which is in you, that special, that special inward endowment, which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit, by prophetic utterance, when the elders laid their hands upon you, and that being at his ordination. It is essential to note that, to note that those who laid hands on Timothy at his ordination service were the elders, leaders as such. This practice of the laying on of hands as the expression of ordination is also seen when we consider Paul's apostolic calling. However, before we discuss his apostolic calling, we have to set the record straight concerning Paul's then named Saul experience of being so simple as an apostle with Apostle Barnabas. There are certain scholars that regard the laying on of hands by Ananias on Paul as the second apart of Paul as an apostle. On close examination of the record of scripture, this is most definitely not the case. Let me say that again. On close examination of the record of scripture, this is most definitely not the case. Let me read the appropriate scripture. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and has, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answers, Lord, I have heard... For many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And ye, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus will appear to you on the road by which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Note that. And immediately something like scales fell from off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately you proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon 
this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief of priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That's found in Acts 9:10 to 22. Considering the above scripture in relation to Acts 6, the following is evident. The foundation apostles laid hands on the servant as an act of approval and ordination. Let me reiterate that. The foundational apostles laid hands on the servant as an act of approval and ordination. And Ananias is mentioned as a disciple. In fact, the King James Version mentions, mentions Ananias as a certain disciple. We have first discovered that the first mentioned principle clearly stated that the apostles laid hands and not disciples. Furthermore, Ananias laid hands for two specific reasons, and that being for Paul to receive his sight once again, and also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, after his experience with Ananias, began witnessing of Jesus. Ananias laid hands on Ananias laid on of hands was most definitely not an ordination exercise. What is also of vital importance is that the New Testament does not record any ordinations that took place privately. The ordination of seven deacons, the ordination of Timothy and the ordination of Paul was held in local churches in the presence of the leadership and that by the leadership. And the congregants were also present. Furthermore, Paul's encounter with the disciple Ananias took place three days after his encounter with the Lord. Paul was a novice of the faith and of the word of God. And it is explicit that the laying of hands on novices to set people apart from ministry is strictly prohibited. And that's recorded in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 6. Paul's apostolic ordination took place at the Antioch church several years after his conversion. And hear what the scripture has to say about this. Now there were in the church in Antioch Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Munian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord, while they were worshipping the Lord and passing the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 13, 1 to 3. By the way, the English Standard Version. It is interesting to note, the leadership were present at the Antioch church worship and service. God's word is precisely clear that prophets and teachers were present. While worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit directs the leadership, prophets and teachers in this case, to set apart Barnabas and Paul, then at that, at that time called Saul. It's remarkable to further note that the leadership reacted. They were not prompt. They changed the order of the service from worship and passing to that of prayer and passing. In other words, they never acted immediately. Their actions were purposely specific. They had a time of appraising the director from the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting, and thus confirmed the director of the Spirit of God. The service took another turn. 
it becomes and it became an ordination service. Hands were laid on Barnabas and Paul, and thereafter they were released from the Antioch church and sent forth as apostles to the nations. Now, let's discuss the ordination of elders, bishops, and overseers. And by the way, by the way, um, if you later on read the book of Corinthians, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 13, you find that Paul gives a teaching on how to judge prophecy. He says that two or three prophesy and let the others judge. And I'm sure that Paul got this teaching from his experience in the Antioch church when he and when he himself and Barnabas, Barnabas were, were called. A man, a prophet or a teacher spoke, gave the directive, and then the others judged accordingly to determine whether it was of God or not. Now let's talk about the ordination of elders, bishops, and overseers. Overseers. It has always been my persuasion that these three officers were of the local church, that is, elders, bishops, and overseers. They were the resident ministers of local churches. In our modern day, they are termed pastors and overseers, or even elders. Their ordinations follow the same pattern of the deacons, and that of hands being laid on them. I've never ever thus far, studying the Word of God in the New Testament, noted that men of God, pastors, elders, deacons, whoever, were anointed by oil. It's always, to my understanding and to my knowledge, been the laying on of hands. There are certain independent local churches and denominations that do not see elders as ascended gifts. At the first church I attended, I was privileged to serve as a Sunday school superintendent and deacon. This church had its roots in the Apostolic Church of Great Britain. However, it was an indigenous, self-governed, self-supported, and self-propagated church. They believed strongly in fivefold ministry. However, they did not accept elders as fivefold ascended gifted ministers. Whenever we are not certain on issues that are conflicting, we must always allow the Word of God to speak for itself. God's Word will always bring clarity on any conflicting subject. I'm sure by now that you are, as the reader of this book, have come to the conclusion that I believe very strongly in what most theologians deem the first mentioned principle. Once again, let me reiterate the importance thereof. It will always set a precedent. At the first church council which was held in Jerusalem, we note that the elders and the apostles were present. They discussed the weighty matter of whether Gentile converts had to be circumcised. To finalize this salvation, Apostle Peter, on whom Jesus said, I will build my, build my church, that is Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, gave witness of his experience of what transpired at the home of Cornelius. Barnabas and Paul testified of the mighty signs and wonders that God had performed amongst the Gentiles. James, possibly the half-brother of Jesus, writes a letter to those who were troubled by those promoting circumcision, which should give us the understanding that the elders, and not just the apostles, were part of the decision-making body. The mere fact that the elders were part of the decision should convince us that they were not, that they were, that they were governing elders. Note the word spent. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. 
My question is, who and to us? Just who is the who and unto us? Without a doubt, these are the elders and apostles, the then governing body of the early church. Read Acts 15, 1 to 29. Now let's speak of Old Testament ordination and the laying on of hands. Born again spiritful Christians cannot ignore the Old Testament. The word of God is blatantly clear that all scripture is inspired of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. And that simply means both the Old and New Testaments are God's word. There's a classic example in the Old Testament of ordination by the laying on of hands. Moses ordained Joshua and that by the laying on of hands. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of man, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Elisa the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest in him with some of your authority. Oh, I must read that verse again. Or rather, the part of that verse. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. Let me just add this quickly before I read again. Note that the laying on of hands at times is an impartation of what is resonant within your spirit. You transfer it to another. Let me reiterate, reiterate that. You shall invest in with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel, of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Elisa, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Elisa, the priest, and the whole congregation, and he laid, hallelujah, his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. Hallelujah. Now let's speak about the significance of the laying on of hands. Even everything that is done has significance, and more so that which is recorded in the Word of God. The laying on of hands is an ordination service which portrays profound spiritual truth. The first spiritual truth that it portrays, that is the laying of hands, honor. God, and then the second point is releasement. And then the third, that's just two, two sorry. Honor and releasement. Let's talk about honor. God told Moses to put some of his honor upon Joshua. Numbers 27:20. Laying on of hands is an impartation of an anointing which rests upon a servant of God to another servant of God. This is also seen in the relationship, relationship of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha asked for a double portion of God's anointing that rested upon his mentor. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That men of God can take of the anointing that God gave him and pass it on to the younger men of God. Releasement. 
Barnabas and Saul, then, uh, yes, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, were ministering in the Antioch church when the Holy Spirit spoke to the leadership to send Barnabas and Saul apart for their ministry that he had called them unto. This was a directive from the Holy Spirit to the leadership to release the two servants of God from their local church. Their ministries were no more confined to a local church. Barnabas and Saul were functioning as teachers after the directive they were ordained as apostles. Let me say this, and it's a big, major problem in our modern day church. Apostles are not called to pastor churches. They are called to plant churches. Yes, they can use a local church as their base. But let me tell you this, they're not there as the chairperson of their church. Pastors are leaders of local churches, not apostles. Now let me make some spiritual application. Spiritual application number one. The church has to model the Old and New Testament examples of the laying of hands in ordaining and releasing servants of God into the ministries of deacons, elders, bishops, overseers, and fivefold ascended gifted ministries. Also, there is no need to make a distinction between ministries by the anointing of oil and the laying on of hands. Many churches, when they ordain elders and ascended gifts, though they are one, they would anoint them with oil. Whereas deacons in some denominations are not anointed with oil. Hands are laid upon them. Now let me just say this. It's important to note that the anointing of oil is with the Old Testament. However, as far as I have studied, I have not seen any situation in the New Testament where deacons, elders, ascended gifts are anointed with oil. Hands are just laid upon them by the ascended gifts. And when we do this, when we anoint one form of ministry with oil, and then we set others apart by the laying on of hands, we are making a distinction between the two. What we are indirectly saying is this, that the one gift is more important than the other. And this is not the case. Moses laid hands, in the Old Testament, yes, the prophets anointed with oil. But what you must understand is this. Moses transferred his honor by the laying of hands, his personal honor. But the power of God was transmitted or imparted to Joshua that by the power of the Spirit. The honor by the laying of hands came by Moses. But the dynamic, the signs and wonders uh, came via the Spirit of God. So please, let us stop making this foolish mistake of making distinction between ministries and that through anointing of oil and the laying on of hands. The New Testament uh, 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 um, practice is none other than the laying on of hands. Spiritual application number two. Only servants of God 
who prior to the ordination were already engaged in active and faithful ministry should be ordained and set apart for their respective ministries. Saul, Paul, is a classic example of this. Let me read the scripture. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Note, it says they taught. So I get the understanding that Saul and even Barnabas were operating as ascended gifted teachers. And that's found in Acts chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. Spiritual application number three. And this one is vital. Any of and only members of the fivefold ascended gifts may be used of God to reveal the call of God upon a servant of God. However, it is essential that the call be verified by other ascended gifts. And once this is done, all the members of the presiding elders must lay hands upon the new minister and set him apart for his ministry. This, no doubt, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 to 4, and 1 Corinthians 14 to 29. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Strange, but also true. Within the apostolic renewal movement, there is a firm belief within certain circles that only apostles have the prerogative to call men, call men into the ministry and ordain them. This is far removed from Scripture for the simple reason it elevates the apostolic ascended gift above the other fivefold ascended gifts. I personally find it very, very weird how that these apostles have come to this conclusion for the simple fact the New Testament gives us a clear mandate of who of the five, fivefold may call and ordain ministers. These God-appointed apostles, and may I add, are mighty men of God, who sadly have drawn their own conclusions. It is my sincere belief that they base the assumption on the Old Testament truth that only prophets of the Old Testament were allowed to call and set men apart for the ministry and kingship. What they have simply done is change the calling and ordination roles from the role of the prophet to that of an apostolic role. No doubt, they base this on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, which conveys the fact that the apostolic ministry is first in rank in regards to the other ascended gifts. It would be good for you to read the scripture. This to me is also a misinterpretation on their part. To, to me, it simply teaches that when there is a need for setting churches in order, then the apostolic ministry will come to the fore. And when the church needs direction, then the prophet, prophetic ministry will come to the fore. And when the church needs to grow numerically, then the evangelistic ministry will come to the fore. And when the church needs care, then the pastoral ministry will come to the fore. Finally, when the church needs instruction, then the teaching ministry comes to the fore. 
as students and ministers of the word, we must realize that one gift does not supersede the other. For the simple fact, these are gifts given to the church by Christ. And probably the best way I can endorse, endorse my belief, no, I did not say the spirit, is to ask you two simple questions. Firstly, of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is the most important? Let's just briefly uh, 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 mention a few. Um, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles. Um, what else? Prophecy, a word of wisdom, and a word of knowledge. Those are the nine gifts. Most people will have their own peculiar choice. But for the sake of conveying my point effectively, let's presume that most people will say prophecy. Prophecy is the most important. Now, let me go on to my second question. If you are seriously ill, what of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit do you need to be manifested to meet your need? I dare say, it is not prophecy. What you need is the gift of healing. And it is with this in mind that I can emphatically conclude that the most important gift is the gift needed for the hour. And therefore, of the five ascended gifts, the same principle is in place. The most important ascended gift is the gift needed for the hour. And let me briefly reiterate. If the church, church needs to be uh, established, then no doubt through the word of God, then apostolic doctrine is, is given by an apostle to the church. He writes the constitution. If the church needs direction, then the pointing uh, finger that represents the prophet, his ministry comes to the fore and he shows the way to the people. And we can go on and on with the other ministries. Um, spiritual application number five. Callings and ordination services should be held at a public venue. Ordinations in the New Testament were never an isolated event. It was always in the eye of the church. That's very important. Spiritual application number six. Though any member of the five ministers may call men and women into the ministry, the teaching of 1 Corinthians 13.29 must be adhered unto at all times. The leadership must judge and determine the validity of the source of the call. We are well aware that there are three spirits that are operative in the church. And that being the spirit of man, evil spirits, and no doubt, the wonderful Holy Spirit. Furthermore, there has to be an unanimous approval by the entire leadership, and by that I mean the eldership. Many, no doubt, do not see elders as fivefold. However, on close examination of the First General Council of Experts, apostles and elders were present. And uh, 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 James said, it seems good to us. Who were the us? The elders and the apostles. So they are part of the decision-making as such. In Acts 13 verse 3, it is imperative, and I, you should read this. Read that verse over and over. In Acts 13 verse 3, it is imperative that we note the word they is mentioned three times. Who are the they? None other than the prophets 
and teaches. Whoever the Spirit of God used to bring forth the calling, and that by the vocal voice of the prophet or the teacher, you must understand that after they determined that it was of God because they judged the, 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 the word, what they done was this. All of them laid hands. There was a unanimous approval. And not one man set Paul, Saul, and Barnabas aside for ministry. All of the men. So you see, it's not a one-man band. It's men of God cooperating together and working together. This safeguards the church. I'll never forget, I was called to minister at a certain church. And... Um, before ministering, this brother took me aside and spoke about his pastoral uh, 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 um, calling upon his life. And he wanted me to call him into the ministry. You see what I mean? <laughs> That's totally out of order. He wanted a one-man calling. And it doesn't work like that. I remember also in another meeting, uh, several of uh, 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 ministers were, were at a, a weekly fraternal. And by the way, it was in Phoenix. And this mighty, this mighty man of God, and he was a mighty man of God, made the stupid mistake of going to one of the men of God who, who was recognized as a prophet and said to him, you must call me into the prophetical ministry. That doesn't work that way. It's the move of a spirit. A man of God cannot call you. Yes, God will use a man of God to call you, but however, it will be unctioned by the spirit of God, not by people. So, it, 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 that we got to judge at all times. And when there is a definite call of God from the Spirit of God through a man of God, a servant of God, we don't act immediately. We stop, we stop, we stop, we judge, we communicate, we talk, we see if the man is faithful to the church, we see if he's a tither, we see if he, if he, if he, if he, if he treats his family well, has he got a good uh, 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 testimony in the area, etc., etc. We just don't act upon word. Even if it's a rhema from God, we judge, we inspect it. Amen? Um, spiritual application number seven. One more important spiritual application of the two forms of governance in the church, and I've mentioned it, and that being democracy and theocracy, which of the two must the church adopt? Let me reiterate, because this is vital. And let me just say this. Um, uh, it's important that although we are dealing with the subject of the hands of ordination, we've got to bear in mind that the only people, the only ministers that can lay hands and ordain are governing elders. Amen? They are governing elders, no one else. In other words, only fivefold ministers can set people apart for the ministry. And they do it not singularly, but in the plural. Now, let's talk about which method of governance should be adopted in the modern day church. Should it be democracy and theocracy? Now, let's first and foremost establish the fact, and we've dealt with this in, the, in this chapter. There are clear principles of democracy in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Book of Numbers in the Old and Acts of the Apostles in chapter 6 as such. There are principles of democracy. Then there is a principle of theocracy. 
And it's very, very important. Now, I will read the scripture and it's found in Timothy 1.5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. Amen? In every city. Now, this is vitally important, right? Paul is now instructing Titus. I've given you the prerogative because understand this, listen to me, listen to me. Titus was an ascendant and elder, right? And Paul instructs him to ordain elders. Now, I believe this was his, his, his pattern. It was a self-same pattern that the Antioch church had instituted by the Spirit of God. They were led by the Spirit. And I would believe he would go and start churches, strengthen the church, teach them, etc., 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 teaching the, the apostolic doctrine that no doubt he was taught by, by the Apostle Paul. And then he in turn will mature the church through the word of God. And then he would seek the face of the Lord and ask God, who are the men that he must appoint as elders? Amen. But although he appointed the elders, amen, the men and people in the church who at that time were perhaps not, not, not uh, 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 in the ministry as elders, they could check out they could check out whether or not this was truly a move of God. And how could they do that? How could they do that? Here was a man that come in, ordaining elders. How were they to know that this man was not carrying favor with certain men in the church? Like I was approached. And how that, that man of God approached the, the so-called prophet in, 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 in Phoenix, Durban. How would they know? How would they know? The answer is simple. Let's read the word. And this is important. The, the, the book of Timothy also speaks about it, but I haven't got time to go into it. Let me read in from, from Titus. Qualifications for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above approach the husband of one wife and his children of believers are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunken or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable a love of good self-control upright holy and disciplined he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound. Now, if you read uh, Timothy as well, it's very similar, very similar. All right. Now, let me make my point. And I want you not to think with me. Imagine, right? All right. Uh, Paul had said that certain things were done now, but now they must set the church in order. Now you set the church in order by appointing leadership. This is very important. You set your church in order by leadership. There's no such thing as a one-man bang. The Lone Ranger ministry is over. It's fivefold. Amen? It's fivefold and that with deacons as well. Now, let's say I go in, right? Now, I, I, I won't tell you what my calling is. People say I'm this and I'm that and I'm that. I, look here, I'll be honest with you. I don't care what people say about my ministry. I don't care if they say I'm this, that, or the other. All I do is function. 
I don't glory in my gift. I glory in my giver of the gift. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And that I was taught by my, by my pastor, Apostle Edwin Gray. We don't glory in the gift. We glory in the giver. And we don't, uh, we, 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 we're not sort of uh, 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 um, controlled by titles. We're controlled by a function. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. So now, well, let us say I just go into a church. I'm well known in that church. In fact, you know, uh, let's just say I had a hand in the development of that church, right? And now I go, thus saith the Lord. The Lord would have Ian Singler set aside as a teacher in the house of the Lord. Yeah, hear the Lord and obey and set aside Ian Singler apart for the ministry. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> And without wages. <laughs> they didn't trust God by faith. <laughs> oh boy, I'm making a joke, but I, I, I don't mean to. Now, right, how is that church now going to know whether Ian is truly called of God? Maybe Ian has given me a few, you know, dollars. <laughs> or maybe I just like the poor boy, you know. You know? Simple. That word that I read, if it doesn't meet the prerequisites of that word, husband of one wife, not given to, 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 to alcohol, he's got a bad testimony, so then they can refuse him. They can refuse his calling for the simple reason, hear me now, the same way as the democratic principle was controlled by the word of God, which no doubt was set forth by the foundation of apostles. He has to be of honest report, that's a deacon. He has to be full of wisdom, etc., etc., right? And he had to have a good report. Now, in the same way, these conditions govern that call. And let's say uh, Ian, Ian is given to wine, and Ian is a wife beater, etc., and his children are, 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 are running rampant, in drugs and, and and he can't keep his own own house in order then someone in that church can get up and say i don't agree with that call it's not of god because it doesn't meet the requirements thereof so with that in mind with that in mind listen to me carefully listen to me carefully who and what is the highest authority in the church the word of god jesus Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen. Now, with that in mind, what pattern shall we follow? Shall we follow democracy or shall we follow theocracy? Let me say this. We follow both. When there are deacons to be put in place, let me say this. Let the people vote. But let the word of God have the final say. If someone there is voted in as a deacon, as a deacon, and it doesn't meet the requirements set forth by the word, by the apostles, then people can say to the to, to the church, we don't accept that man on the basis he's not called of God. And they can say he's not called of God because he doesn't meet the requirements set forth in the word of God for the diagnosis. I know of a case, and this was a good young man that was called. He lived a holy life. And the Bible, uh, he was called prophetically by the leader of the church. But then one young man approached the pastor and said, Hey, you're out of order, man of God. 
For the simple fact, this man in our Pentecostal upbringing and environment and understanding, those that are caught into the deactinate, they're going to be filled with the Spirit. And you're only filled with the Spirit in our Pentecostal understanding if you are baptizing the Spirit. That dear man of God, I, I don't know what he had to say. But you know, they soon corrected it. They had a special time where they made sure this guy got baptized into the Spirit. Are you with me? But that man that, I won't say challenged the pastor, but, but went to the pastor and inquired, done the right thing. Because the highest authority is not the man of God. The highest authority is the Word of God. Now the same principle applies to the so-called theocracy. Um, Titus had the prerogative to appoint elders. But although he had the prerogative to appoint elders, the church had the understanding of what were the prerequisites for eldership. And if one of the men that uh, Titus had appointed did not meet the requirement of the scripture, then sad to say, they could challenge him. Amen. Now, let me wrap this all up. I hope this was a blessing to you. Um, I, I, I want you to see the, 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 the emphasis that I've made in this chapter. I spoke about hands of ordination. And the point I'm driving is this, is that only fivefold ministers can set people apart by the laying of hands. We don't anoint with all we lay hands. Because if we take the Old Testament principle, amen, and we look to Moses and Joshua, there's a truth there. That a seasoned man of God who's in the ministry for years lays hands and he, he imparts of his honor. But now here's the key, and this is important. Look here, look here, this is important. This is important. You see, Moses, Moses was one man that laid his hand upon Joshua and imparted his honor. But in our modern day church, it's not one man, it's several men. And if more of God's servants, like the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist, lays their hand on you, it's not one man's honor being imparted, but the whole five. Can you imagine the ministry of this man? My God, my God, isn't that wonderful? And then also we must remember, though the honor of these men are imparted, because like I said, if you read, Acts 13, 3. Three times the word they are mentioned. They prayed. They laid, they, they laid hands. They sent him forth. They sent him not only with, with the blessing of God, but they also sent the, the prophets and teachers, sent, sent uh, Saul and Barnabas with a part of their honor. Amen. There were seven men there, I think. And you take away Saul and Barnabas. Yes. If you take away, let, let me just verify that point. Let, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Oh, glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. It's a good God, ain't he not? He's a good God. Acts 13, I'm going past the page, right? Right. Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Let's count. You count, uh, Ian. Barnabas. One. Simeon. Two. Who was called Legion, the same person. Lucius. Three. Manion. Four. Um, and Saul five and Barnabas six six they go again okay let's go there was Barnabas Lucius 
Mullion and Saul and Barnabas. Six. I think you missed one. Okay, let's go again. Now there were, I hope you don't mind, eh? we're just checking the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Munion, and Saul. That's five. There were five. There were five. All right. So I always thought it was seven, but praise God, the word is always correct. So there were five, right? There were five, right? So now, here's, here, here's the thought now. So hands were laid upon Saul and Barnabas. So how many hands were laid upon, up, 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 upon them? How many pairs of hands if there's five? Um, five pairs of hands? No, because hands were being laid upon Saul and Barnabas. There were three pairs of hands. Come on, let's count it again. Um, please bear with us. Now there was in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Munion, and Saul. Five. Yeah. Right. Oh, yes. So Saul and Barnabas are being ordained by the laying of hands. How many pair of hands were laid upon them? Three. Right. Could this not be, I'm just saying something, I'm making spiritual application, typology. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three. <laughs> glory, glory. It's, a, it's like a picture almost of, of the three in one. The mere fact that those three approved of the, of the call and judged as from the Holy Spirit, it's like a type of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit approving and sending forth. Amen. So, let us then also realize that three men of God, three men of God, laid their hands and they imparted their honor. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? So they just never had their own honor. They had three plus one now, and plus the power and the dunamis of God. So church, amen, much has, been, much has been said about governing hands. Hands are fivefold ministry, ministry. They are set apart for the ordination of other ministers. And I think there's one more spiritual application I must make, and that I taught it, but I need to reiterate. Ananias was a certain disciple. He did not have the prerogative or the mandate to set Paul aside. Number one, number one, he was only a disciple. He wasn't a minister of the gospel. Yes, he was a witness, but he wasn't a fivefold minister and a synod gift, right? Number two, number two, he laid hands on Paul, that Paul be healed and filled with the Spirit. So the purpose of his laying on of hands was to heal Paul, and that's why the, the scales fell from his eyes. And number two, that Paul might be a witness. And you'll notice, as soon as Paul leaves the home of Ananias, he begins to witness because he was baptizing the Spirit. Amen.
And then the other reason why Paul was not set apart by Ananias into apostolic ministry is for the simple reason. He was still a novice. He was still a novice. He was still a novice. Only three days earlier, he had met with the Lord. So from three days knowing the Lord, you're now an apostle? <laughs> Brethren, study God's word. It's beautiful. It's powerful. I trust that this teaching has been a blessing to you. Next week, we're going to do a very, very important subject. I'll be teaching on uh, what is in your hand, what ministry is possibly there. And I want to say this to you, please, please. And I'm not saying this to boost my ego. If I boast, I boast in the Lord. Some of the things that I've shared with you this morning, and I'm going to share with you about apostolic ministry, is direct from God. No doubt, it has its roots in the Word of God. And I want you not to plagiarize my writings and my teachings. When you teach this, and I want you to teach it, give them the source. The source is the Spirit of God. But you tell him who is the man that God used. You can call me Pastor Dear Lindy, or you can call me Dr. Dear Lindy. But please, don't grab the glory for yourself. Plagiarism is evil. It's not of God. I know many people that have taken my writings, my teachings, and presented it as theirs. And know what happened? God's used them and praise God for that. Are you with me? But I remember when I was a young man, God said to me, Joe, don't you be an echo of other men. And I'll never forget the first mistake I ever made when I began preaching. I listened to Morris Sorello speak on the, um, uh, the, 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 the destruction of, of the Jews during this time. Man, I played that, that, that sermon over and over. I never preached it word for word, but I actually took his sermon, and if I built on it, I don't think so. But what was said was not from me, it was from that man. I was about three months saved. I went home, and I cried like a baby, and I said, Lord, I'll never do that again. If I do it again, I must give the man from whom I got the information, the credit and the honor. And I want to say this humbly, please don't take my material that God has given me and present it as if it's yours. Next week, there are going to be some things I'm going to say that you never heard. There might be a few things that I shared with some men of God that they are reiterating and they never gave me the glory that's sad to say is one of those things. But I don't want you to be like one of that men. Amen. God bless you. God bless your family. God bless you going in and you're coming. You're going out and you're coming. God bless your church. Share this with your people in the church and above all, share it with your minister. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the word which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Bless your people. Bless the word to their hearts and cause them to grow. And Father, be there a gift of ministry in their life then God you bring it forth and God you make sure that God it's according to the pattern of God's word it will be a calling made publicly it be an ordination publicly and you make sure God that this man has been active in the ministry for a number of years no novice must be called God men that are mature they might be young like Timothy was young but God he was mature in the things of God so bless us to bless your church in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.